Um, and I, I, we sit here this morning, and I've thought about uh, just the last few weeks and uh, things we've discussed and things we've talked about. And um, kind of odd we'd be sitting here today. Uh, I didn't intend to preach one of these messages. It kind of came out of the blue, and, and so I've, we're kind of backed up from my plan. But always God's plan supersedes and prevails. And um, talking, about the, uh, talking about wearing masks and masks, uh, just, just, just being involved in a masquerade. And it seemed like an odd place to be in, in light of all the things that, that, that have transpired over the last few days and things we're contending with and all of that. But I want, I want to start with the scripture, just like we've been doing. And I want you to, to look at Luke chapter 12 with me, and, and we're going to take a little bit further. And I'll explain where I'm going. Just hang with me uh, here for just a minute, and uh, we'll go together. In Luke chapter 12, verse 1, you find these words. Meanwhile, the crowds grew until thousands were milling about and stepping on each other. Jesus turned first to his disciples, and he warned them, Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. The time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed, and all the, that is All that is secret will be made known to all. Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and whatever you've whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. We read this last week. Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot do any more to you after that. But I tell you whom to fear. Fear God, who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. He, yes, he's the one to fear. And and then Jesus takes another step, and he starts in verse 6. Kind of an odd turn uh, here with this question he asked, but listen to it. What is the price of five sparrows? (laughs) Jesus, like often was his mode of operation, he would, you you remember the story where where his mother and daughter, or his mother and, and, and father, or fathers, mother and brothers and all those sisters came to him, and they come to the, the, uh, the disciples like, hey, we want to see Jesus. And they, they're talking about how Jesus is crazy. He don't know what he's talking about. And he comes to the disciples. I think it was that, that, that part. Was it that one or, the, or when the Greeks came to him? I don't remember which one it was. Now, they wanted to see Jesus. And Jesus, as he's, he's met with this invitation to come talk with somebody, he just all of a sudden goes, except the kernel of wheat fall to the ground and die, then it bears much fruit. And then everybody's like, oh, okay. And here Jesus is talking about fear of God. And he goes, hey, how much do two sparrows cost? What does that have to do with the fear of God? I don't have any. I, I'm sure everybody's going, uh, okay, Jesus, where, 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 where are you going? Well, he continues to talk and he goes, Yet God has not forgot a single one of them. And the very hairs on your head are still numbered. Don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. We've been talking about pulling off these masks that we wear, about being open and honest. And, you know, one of the things that we, we talked about last week was the fear. You know, we, I, I, we brought the table back out here. just want to remind you that, you know, there's a place of transparency. We've got to take that mask, that superhero mask. We've got to get it off, and we've got to be open and honest. And we have to share with the deepest things of our hearts toward people who we, God intends for us to grow deep relationships with. And when they, when they can become honest with us, we've got to take the, 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 the covers off. When, uh, when they take the covers off, we've got to create an environment that's warm, that's, that's open, that they can, they can grow in and, and, and deal with their stuff. And last week we talked about the fear of God, and, or the fear of man, the fear of God, and how we can sometimes wear different things that make people see different light, us in different lights in different environments. 
But there's another thing that, that kind of gets to us. When we think of the fear of God, here's, here's what I want. You know what the fear of God is? It has to do with what we believe. What we believe about God's word, what we believe about his character, what we believe about his, 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 his truth, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It has to do with, with, with all that. To, to, when we have a dilemma of, of what we believe in, here's what we have to do. We have to combat it by trusting in the great power of God. If, if God is bigger than everything on the planet, then we have to trust in his power. When we feel, feel, feel the need to pull back from what we believe, we have to trust that God is capable, that God is able, that God is beyond everything, that God can do anything he wants to at any time, any place, anyhow. We have to put our trust in the great power of God. That's how we combat things when doubt comes, when, when frustrations come, when darkness comes, when gloom comes. And that's what we do for a minute. But here, here, what we face probably today more than, more than any time we can ever remember, we face the fear of circumstance today. What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen next year? What's going to happen three years from now, five years from now, ten years from now? What's going, where are we going to be? This is the question of, of the fear of circumstance has to do with what if. Well, what if that happens? What if this goes on? What if that happens? What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? And, and, and this is, is, is uh, has to, the word circumstance, you know what it means? The word circumstance, it has to do with an event or a fact that causes or helps to cause something to happen. And typically the, def- the dictionary says it's something undesirable. Something we don't want, something we're not looking for, something we've not planned for, something that's just... It, has to do, it also has to do with the state of, uh, of our finance or our material welfare. Well, he was a person of meager circumstance. You know, you've heard those kinds of words before. It actually comes from an old English word, a middle English word, circum, which means to be around, and the word stare, which means to stand against. When when, when things around us seem to be standing against us, what do we do? How do we we contend with them? This has to do with how we live. The first thing has to do with what we believe. This has to do with how we transact every day of our lives. Because we could live in the what-ifs. We could live in how this should go or how that should have went or what we should, and, and, and we, can, we, can, we can be lost and captivated there. I, I, when, we, when, we ha, when we find ourselves dealing with this fear of circumstance, what has happened, what will happen, what is going on, we, we have to combat it with this. We have to combat it by trusting in the great care of God. That's why Jesus asked this question right here in the middle of this discourse. He says, don't fear God. Don't fear man. Fear God. Then he goes, hey, how, how much are two doves worth? And it seems like it's just kind of off the wall. Like, what is Jesus? What is? And he's like, listen, how much, is a, how much are two doves worth? What, 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 what are the? And he says, yet the Father pays attention to every one of them. In our mind, they're not worth a whole lot, but God's even paying attention to them. You know, we, we could get caught in circuit because we fear loss. Loss of a relationship, loss of our retirement, loss of an election, loss of, of this. And God can, get us, can, God can get us to a point where we're like, ah! But, but if we trust in the great care of God, that he not only has great power, he has great care. He is always and forever. We read those words on this. We sing those words on the screen. I hope you believe them. Those songs we sang. 
If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is with us, right? I know it's difficult. And I went back and forth today, but I looked back at what God had placed in my heart, what I was going to say this morning. I know everybody's looking for answers. I know everybody's looking for, for, for reasons. Everybody's looking for, you know, what happened? Why did that go on? Listen, I, I think about last week. I didn't intend to, to preach this, the message I preached last week and start talking about Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Richard Wormbrand when they find themselves in, in, in a place where their, their, their whole what they understood to be life and, and the place they lived got turned upside down and what's going on. I didn't intend that. I didn't plan that. That was the Spirit of God. I didn't know. I didn't have any idea what was going to happen. That was Jesus. And today, he wants to remind us, not only do we not have to fear man we do not have to fear circumstances we don't have to fear tomorrow we don't have to fear uh, next week or next month are there things to be concerned about absolutely oh my goodness but if our god is truly god if he is truly king then man he's still got everything I looked this way. I went back. I had to do a, do a biology class with, with some, some students. We do a, we're, we're homeschoolers. We do a co-op. And I've had the, the privilege of doing a, co-op, doing, doing, a, doing a biology class for the last several months. And what was funny was, as I'm in the middle of all this, I come across this video by a guy named Louis Giglio who, who talks about this substance called laminin. You guys ever heard of it? Huh? It's an actual protein in your, in your body. It is, it is, it is the, 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 the molecular cohesion molecule, okay? It holds all the rest of your proteins and stuff together. It makes sure your skin stays intact. It makes sure your organs stay together. It, it, it's like the glue, the mortar in between everything that's working. And if you would see a, a diagram of laminin, I encourage you to go, go, go do it, L-A-M-I-N-I-N, okay, laminin. Okay, go do and look for a scientific diagram of the molecule lanolin, laminin, laminin. You know what it looks like? It looks like this. It looks like a cross. Rewind back to Colossians chapter 1. It says, he holds everything together. And then later in verse 21, it says, he reconciled us by his blood through his cross. Is that crazy? Even in biology, the gospel rings true and rings clear. And that same laminin that holds us together, the the representation of the cross still is holding us together. Psalm Psalm 23, you know it all the time. You've heard it for years, most of you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's still true today, ladies and gentlemen. Verse 5 says, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. When my circumstances, when things around me seem like they're staring at me, they've gathered around, they've come to oppose me. Even in that moment, you prepare a table for me. You are still holding me together. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. And he says these words, talking about after, right after he talked about his enemies, he talked about going through the valley of the shadow of death. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Oh, man. You talk about bad times. David writes these kind of words after his own son rebels against him, tries to take the kingdom from him. You talk about darkness, blackness. Come on. Wow. 
And he says in verse 6, surely your goodness, one translation says mercy, and other says unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. How could David not let circumstance get to him? You know why he could not let circumstance get to him? Because he had his eyes on the goodness and the love of God and the eternity of heaven that was waiting for him. And we should be no different we should be no different. I, 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 early Wednesday morning, I received an email. It almost, I mean, it, it was there when I first checked, and it was early in the morning, so I don't know exactly when it was sent. But, but it, it was a letter uh, written by a German Christian, which I thought was all ironic. After preaching last week, and he must, have, he must have written it. I don't know who he is. He didn't pin his name to it. I don't know. Um, I, I don't know. I cried as I read to my wife the other day, sitting at our lunch table. I pondered it, and I thought, man, there's a lot of truth in that. He says, Our dear America, where do you go from here? Today, Obama has been reelected. All the efforts of many Christian leaders, prayer movements, prophets, and concerned Americans who have lobbied, written appeals, articles, books, letters, some have even done films to warn not to vote for him, have come to nothing. Many of them have behaved as if the future of the kingdom of God is at stake. He goes, well, it's not. Can we, as foreigners who dearly love you as a people, say a few words in this situation? He says, and he has better eyesight than we do probably. He says, because it is evident to us that God has a clear plan. I thought, wow. Many don't seem to see it, and therefore they're in a danger of fighting the wrong fight, wasting precious time and resources, and even endlessly calling upon God to do what he just will not do. He talks about a, a German news article for their, their version of Time magazine. It, calls, uh, the, it says the American patient, and it says a, great, a, a, a decline of a great nation. He said, we think it's a prophetic picture. He said, God chastises whom he loves and he knows. Pride will come before the fall and humbleness and brokenness is the only condition he responds to. We personally sense we need to tell you the destiny of your nation is in God's hand, not yours. It's not all about Obama or Romney. It's about God using all the nations in the world according to his global and unchanging plans. Did you ever allow the thought that God and his sovereignty is using Obama like a pawn on his chessboard to humble the U.S. as a nation because he wants to show his grace to a nation gone completely self-sufficient? A nation that is so full of independence, individualism, nationalism, and trusting a greed and fear-based economy that they may, there may be only one way to heal it from its idolatry and realign itself with the kingdom of God, a crisis beyond anything that America has ever seen. Tough words, man. He goes on to describe, in 2008, God has, God has been challenged by a man standing up in public preaching to the cheers of a huge crowd. Yes, we can! We watched it. We saw the tears of excitement in the eyes of the people. The statements we received as if coming from the Messiah himself. The electoral rallies had all the flavor of religious revival. Yes, we can! Is the exact opposite of the King of Kings saying, without me, you can do nothing. If God is the one who deposes kings and raises up others, does it really matter what other names of the current puppets set in place by God that advance both the new world order and the kingdom of God? He said, neither Herod, Pilate, nor Caesar were truly important for the development of the kingdom. That's exactly why kingdom people do not play in the second league, but the first, the one that matters, the one that puts the kingdom first, everything else in their own nation, second. The problem of the current commotion and securities arise when the people that call themselves after God keep confusing the kingdom of God with their own nation. And when that happens, especially through, though, through Christians with a public voice, we have truly lost all perspective of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The predictions he made that will precede his coming.
America's being publicly humbled. He says, the future is going to be very, very rough. Your securities may vanish. The economy may go down. The education system will become even worse. Maybe the street's more dangerous. The church is even more divided. Youth even more disillusioned. Unless there's a true movement that abandons all those idols mentioned above and radically repents, makes a radical alignment with the kingdom of, king of the kingdom of God and his constitution and his constitution, live the law of Christ in all areas of life, first and foremost in areas of sex, money, power, and how we do church, this is a defining moment for you as a nation. You could go down, as a German journalist of Der Spiegel predicted, or America could be literally reinvented by kingdom people who are ready to implode the prevailing myths about America's greatness and replace it by God's greatness. The king is ever, if the king has ever, is even greater things proposed and will fulfill those pr- purposes if those who call themselves after Jesus the king will turn away from their self-made religion, self-made churches and religious factions, self-made visions of success, and their self-made harmless God, can we lovingly but urgently call you back at this hour to begin and initiate a movement to re- reposition and re- repatriate yourselves in the k- eternal kingdom? By submitting yourself not only to, in theory but also practical deeds to Jesus the king, start to obey the king and his liberating decrees in all the areas that count. You might even want to write a declaration of dependence on God and each other. Because the idolizing anything else before and over God will become illegal, you will become illegal aliens in the country that counts. Where we all are called to have our, our home, the kingdom, the one place where our true citizens of nationality and allegiance lies. This is the only one country that will not be shaken as it, is an uncha- as it has an unchanging king. If there's any way we can help you in this great challenge and task, we want you to know we will. Wolfgang and Mercy Simpson of Germany. Wow. See, God's got it all under control. Even things we, we, we can't begin to understand or, or keep together, he's got it. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, he, look, he, he talks to his people and he says, talks about fear. No one in, in chapter 6, fear again creates worship or, or service to something. And Matthew 6 says, no one can serve two masters. You'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, he goes on to say. That's why I tell you not to worry about your everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? And then he says another statement. He goes, look at the birds. Remind him again what he's going to say in Luke 12. Look at the birds. I got them. I got you. Don't be fearful of circumstances. Be my people. Do what I say do. Fear me, not men, not institutions, not problems, not circumstances. Fear me, follow me, worship me, serve me, and I got it. Verse 31 says it's an issue of focus. Seek first the kingdom. Verse 31 says, so don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today, today's trouble is enough for today. God is in the business of caring about where we are. He will take care of us as his people and the people of his kingdom. Absolutely no ifs, ands, buts about it. People want to know why things like this have transpired. You know, when I, about a month ago, I was walking through Central Center. And, and Chillicothe walked up to a USA Today box. There was a, a front page article. Had, had, had my boys either side of me. We go into Central Center Hardware to get some stuff for the house. Walk across the crosswalk. I walk and I see a headline on the front page of a paper, and it says this: First time in American history, Protestantism is in the minority of American population." 
46% of Americans call themselves Protestant, which would be us. They're throwing us all into the, into the same boat. Evangelical, mainline denominations, we're all in the same boat. About 46% of the American population calls themselves a, 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 a Christian. Not Catholic, not, and it, it broke down Jehovah's Witness and Mormon and Muslim and whatever else. There was a whole like, little graph on the front page of the thing. And I thought to myself, immediately seeing that thing, I thought, wow, you know what that means? If 46% of the American population is considered Protestant, how many of them really are evangelical, fundamental, got their, 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 their moving clothes on with, the, with, their, with their lamps trimmed and the, the oil in there waiting for Jesus to come? Maybe if we're lucky, another half of that, maybe 25, maybe 30%, maybe as low as 20, I don't know. Wow, you go, wow, I promise, I walk home, just that, I saw that thing, read the front page article through the little glass on the box, walk to my house, turn on Fox News, the first, the first thing they're talking about, I click on the news as soon as I walk in the door, one in five Americans claim no faith whatsoever. 20% of our population have not even a beginning to understand what's right and what's wrong. Have no beginning to understand what a proper worldview and what they should do. 20%, zero, not enough. So if you want to know why things have transpired, whether those are two statistics that can kind of help you out a little bit. And what we have to do as the church is not be concerned about the circumstances. We have to be concerned about the kingdom and the mission. See, if that's going to change, the hearts of men have to change. Who has God entrusted us to make sure they have the message that can change their heart? Us. The scriptures say if we regard the clouds, we will not sow. We'll stop planting the seed of the word of God. We'll stop being used to water it. We'll stop being used to usher in the kingdom. Because Jesus plainly said in Matthew 24 that the end will not come until this gospel is preached to the end of the world. So... If we're going to keep going, we can't allow the, the spirit of Antichrist to do to us what, what Daniel prophesied it would do. It says in the, the book of Daniel that he would seek to wear out the saints of God. Our mission has not changed. Our kingdom has not been shaken. Our nation may be, but the scriptures tell us in Hebrews, check this out, that everything that can shake will, so that the things that cannot be shaken will re. Maine. And we'll put a mask on in a hurry if circumstances aren't going our way. And we'll do that. I'm blessed. How are things? I'm good. Everything's great. Right? And we're fearful and we're tired and we're weary and we can't lean on each other. And Galatians 6 plainly tells us that, that we ought to do that. It says these words in Galatians 5.25. If we live by the Spirit... Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us, become, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another, which is what the Pharisees did. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. He says, live in the Spirit. If we wear a mask in these kind of times, it keeps us from fulfilling the law of Christ. But if we choose to live by the Spirit, we'll not have that. Romans 2.29 says this, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by God's Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. Romans 7, 6 says these words, But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God. Not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. 
2 Corinthians 3, 6 reads like this. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the spirit gives life. Wow. He goes on to say that that's how we pull off the, the mask. We live, in the, we live in the spirit of God. He reads this, verse, chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if any of one of you is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keep, keeping watch on yourself, lest you also be tempted. And verse 2 says these profound words. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. See, Jesus, all through Luke 12, is talking to people who had, who, who had sought to live by the law. And to the point that they didn't care about people. If you go back to, to what chapter is that? Matthew 12, there's this whole debate about whether Jesus should heal on the Sabbath because it would break the law. And he looks at him and he goes, uh, and how much more valuable is a person than sheep? The law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. And he said to them, hold out your hands. So he, he, he held out his hand and it was restored just like his other hand was. And the Pharisees called a meeting to plot to kill Jesus. These keepers of the law were so mad that Jesus would, would, would live by the Spirit and not by the law that they were ready to kill him. And he warns us not to be like them. And we need to realize in this day and age, we have to bear one another's burdens. We have got to be there for one another. When it's dark, when it's bleak, when it's ugly, listen, we need each other badly. We've got to determine that Jesus is our king, that his kingdom is what really matters, that we have to be on the same page, on the same team, working for the same goal, and that's the proclamation of his gospel. Not getting confused about what's really, really, really important. The task code might change. The kingdom will not. And we might have to do what William said and give out of our sustenance the very things that matter. To us, and that may not be, it may become more difficult to do that, but you know what? Even if it does, we are still more valuable than many, than, 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 two, than any sparrows. God will take care of us. I've never been more sure of that, and I don't know why, because every circumstance really speaks otherwise. All I know is that's what the Bible says. All I know is it's deep seated inside of me that you know what? Difficult times may be ahead, but I really know with the Lord Jesus Christ, the best is still yet to come. I know that. You know why? Because heaven is yet to come. Man, we've got to bear each other's burdens. And if we don't create an environment where we can both share what's frustrating us, what we're worried about, what we're fearful of, what sin we're contending with, what difficult, we will never make it. We will never, ever, ever make it. He says, if anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Gentleness, he talks about, is responding to others the way Jesus responded to us in our fault. I talked with a leader last week, and they were completely concerned about a situation with one of the people in their, their group that they weren't really, were really contending with their stuff. And he said, I'm afraid it's going to blow up. And I said, it may very well. All we can do is create the environment for openness to come out and to deal with stuff. We can't make them do it. Here's what I know. James 5 is an amazing piece of scripture, man. You guys know the, the verse I'm about to quote, but you forget the one that's right in front of it. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man 
makes much power available. You know what the preface to that, that statement is? Confess your faults one to the other that you may be healed. Oh, man. My fault might be I might be fearing circumstances. My fault might be I'm maybe looking at stuff on a computer I shouldn't be looking at. My fault might be that, that me and my kids can't get along like I'd like for us to. My fault might be that, that, that i got issues at work and I just hate this one person I have to work with. My fault might be that, 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 that you know, my car won't work right and I go out and kick it in the tires and do different things and make and I, I, and I don't know how to fix it. I had a conversation with that guy, a couple guys last night. Both of them are a little more industrious than I am, you know? He's like, I can fix anything if I got time. The other guy says, man, if, I got, if it's electronic, I can fix it. I'm like, dude, if we can't talk about it and fix it, I can't fix it. <laughs> that makes me have to lean on other people. You know what I mean? I have to. I'm insufficient in and of myself, and I have to be honest that I can't fix it. I have to ask somebody to come help me fix my car or fix my plumbing or fix my, my, my electrical in my house or fix the roof. Or I have to be honest because I cannot pack it. And that's easy for us to realize. But when it comes to spiritual issues, we still don't want to bear each other's burdens. Or we don't want anybody to help us bear ours. And we have to create an environment where that's possible. We are not fulfilling the law of Christ unless we're doing that together. And as times get darker and as times get blacker, because the Bible tells us as Jesus, the coming of Jesus approaches, it's going to wax worse and worse. The love of any will grow cold. That cannot be said of us. Our love for Jesus has to burn brighter and brighter. Oh, my. I agree with Belinda that Jesus is capable of anything. In fact, I bank on it. It's his sovereignty that secures me in this moment. I trust him to the nth degree. He sees things and knows things and does things I could never begin to do or understand. So I trust him in that. If we take off our mask, we to take off, that gives us the chance to fulfill the law of Christ. Can I encourage you about one other thing? Because when we think about what, what, where we are and what we're doing as Christians, as Americans as mothers and fathers and sons and daughters and husbands and wives and all those different hats, employees and bosses and and all of that, there's one thing that should give us confidence above everything else. One thing, the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus should give us confidence above everything else. Paul writes in the middle of a a heinous and ugly uh, situation in in, in the empire that he lived in, He reminds us in Romans 8 of God's great love. In verse 32, it reads like this. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Verse 35 says this. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? or are persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or even threatened with death. Verse 36 says, as the scriptures say, for your sake we're killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. In verse 37 he goes, no, despite all these things, overwhelming, listen to those words Paul uses, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced, verse 38 says, that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. 
Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. And if that doesn't breathe hope into you this morning, I don't know what will. My! And I feel like I've been licking bricks, man. My mouth is as dry as it can be. Listen to verse 39. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing. Everybody say nothing. Say it again. Nothing. Say it like you mean it. Nothing in all creation. Nothing in all creation will ever. Everybody say ever. 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 Be able to separate us from the love of God. That is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Aren't you glad you're a part of this kingdom, man? Huh? Let me encourage you about something. Perfect love drives away fear. And it dissolves every mask. It has the power for us to be seen for who we really are, what we really are contending with. It has the power to, to push worry and darkness and gloom away. The perfect love of Jesus is beyond real. It has sustained his church. It will sustain his church. It will, it will propel his kingdom. It has propelled his kingdom. It will propel his kingdom. Listen, the love of Jesus has got it. The truth of Jesus remains firm. God has got this whole thing, and he is bringing us to the point where one day Jesus can make his return. And isn't that what we all really want anyway? Yeah. We echo the words of Paul all the time. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And he's, he's still at work doing that. He hasn't stopped. The Lord is good all the time. And all the time, he's good.